Hi, I'm Jeremy Lent. I'm an author and integrator, and I'm author of The Patterning Instinct and an upcoming book called The Web of Meaning, Integrating Science and Traditional Wisdom to Find Our Place in the Universe. And today on the show, we're going to be talking about some of the ways in which our modern civilization is destroying the well-being of humans and the whole natural world and how we can get off this hedonic treadmill that is driving us on. And we're going to look at some of the deeper questions of consciousness, meaning, and the things that really connect us with what is truly meaningful in life. Welcome back to part four of this particular delicious episode of Curiosity Bites with my amazing guest, Jeremy Lent, who is the author of The Patterning Instinct and The Web of Meaning two amazing books that I really highly recommend you go find out about. Go to jeremylent.com. This is a man who has taken a deep dive and is really exploring things in ways that most people will never do that I really encourage you to. If you're the kind of person who really loves this kinds of conversations, if you love the, uh, the, the diving in and understanding most meaning and the implications of how we look at things and the patterning of uh, how we look at patterns and what we put together to make sense of our reality, you have got to go to jeremylent.com. You've got to go and find out about all the different things he's involved in because there are many, by the way. And as I said, we will make sure that all the links are posted um, in the show notes. But I really want to encourage you to do that. I want to also remind you that this particular episode of Curiosity Bites is brought to you by the awesome music project, combining stories, science, and uh, <laughs> and music together to really uh, create a healthier level of psychology within all of us. You can find out more about it at theawesomemusicproject.com. Again, I'm here with my wonderful guest, Jeremy Lent. And we were in the last section really taking a deep dive into how we have been driven to feel better, how we are all driven to feel better, how we need to feel better, and what we're doing uh, destructively in the process of that. And we we had spoken about earlier about the uh, the Edward Bernays thing around manipulating uh, human beings to to consume. And how that has led to a lot of the damage that we've done and continue to do on the planet. I, I want to bring it back to you because you really dived into that, this hedonistic consuming mentality. And um, yet we don't get it. You know, I mean, we don't get it. Uh, uh, there are people who are climate deniers. I, 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 I understand them. I just don't get it. I don't get how, again, it's part of this thing that we talked about earlier, which is fake news is the real news and the real news is fake news and science is now an opinion. It's, it's kind of bizarre. So when you're trying to talk to people about your hedonistic desire for more, consuming more plastics, consuming more, uh, um, fossil fuels and the damage to the planet. How do you get that through? Because you've investigated this. Walk us through where we need to go and what we need to expand into thinking. Um, well, one of the things that I focus a lot of attention on is this realization of just 
how deeply we need to transform our world to get where we need to go. Um, and so uh, this can be kind of uncomfortable even for people who recognize that we have uh, a climate problem. So I'm not even mm -hmm. talking about people who are climate deniers, but there's a large group of progressive, um, liberal-minded, um, mm -hmm. positive-oriented people who um, look at what um, may be called like uh, sort of tech optimism or whatever, mm -hmm. or, or just focusing on a lot of the incrementals, the things we need to do. We need to shift from fossil fuels to renewables. Um, we need to um, do all kinds of uh, incremental things to improve where we're going um, as a global civilization. But what a lot of people don't realize is those incremental changes aren't nearly enough to actually turn the whole sort of ship of state of this whole civilization um, away from disaster. Um, that, and, and just focusing on climate alone, um, we might think like, oh, if and now that the United States has a sane leader, maybe you know it'll go back to this Paris Agreement. We'll meet these Paris Agreement targets. That's great. Um, even those targets, the supposedly rational um, state leaders came up with back in 2015 um, for emissions, um, the, the targets themselves would lead to a three degree Celsius rise in temperature this century, which many scientists are saying is incompatible with having a continued civilization. Like the extremes that this earth would be suffering would be so devastating, we probably wouldn't even make, civilization wouldn't even make it through. This is the period in which people being born right now will still be alive and mm -hmm. will be experiencing things. But then our countries aren't even meeting those targets that themselves are incompatible. Right. And so we need to realize we have to change drastically. The, the, the IPCC, the Institute of uh, thousands of scientists under the aegis of the United Nations that have looked at, studied these things and come up with their models, put out a warning just a couple of years ago saying, we have to turn around by 2030 or um, we are facing disaster, we have to move things drastically. But we can only do that by moving away from the growth-oriented society we live in right now. And one that looks at sort of success being defined by growth in gross domestic product. And every country around the world right now, um, leaders you know, get elected, they win or fall um, on whether they, um, the economy is meeting this growth targets. And if it's not, it leads to unemployment and all kinds of problems. And so we have to keep growing and growing. But if we were talking before about a hedonic treadmill, our society itself is on a treadmill that is even more terrifying actually, because it's an accelerating treadmill that um, is exponentially leading towards a catastrophe if we don't shift. And yeah, so anyway, that's uh, just to start off. Well, so, um, okay, uh, I agree with what you're saying. Um, and, you know, as an example, um, as we record this, uh, Donald Trump has been voted out. Uh, Biden has been voted in. Donald Trump went into hiding inside of the White House somewhere, but emerged to say, um, that the, the, I think it was the Dow Jones, right? It was the Dow, right? Had, right. had gone higher than it ever gone, right? 30,000. And, you know, a, in a, in a previous interview on this program, 
uh, we did with John Perkins. We talked about the death economy. We talked about, uh, and with David Corton, we talked about the, the, the desire for GDP and it actually was causing death in the world. Mm -hmm. Like we are so focused in on that. Um, I, I, I can fully agree with you, Jeremy, but I'm also practical and I'm also a psychological. So in the practical psychology of it, yeah, try telling people you need to cut back and not have so many luxuries. You need to try telling people, you know what? We need to we need to start plowing the fields again and maybe not put not putting gas in the tractor. Uh, oh, so you want me to pull a plow behind a horse? Yeah, never mind. I'm staying where I am. And yeah, there might be no wolf left for my grandkids, but you know, I can't think that far ahead. The practicality, I, this is what I, I mean, I want to get it out of philosophical for a minute, Jeremy. Is there a practicality to this, really? Um, yeah, well, you know, my own view is that the approach that is impractical is the current approach. Mm -hmm. That um, if you are, um, I mean, imagine if you're on the Titanic and you're headed towards the iceberg, uh, and, um, you know, you're saying to the captain, I'm just, I'm seeing this iceberg out there and everyone else is seeing it. He's saying, you know, if we were to steer this around, it would be wrenching. Um, and, you know, people would be put off balance and like, see those deck chairs, they're going to like fall down because they're stacked. You know, we'd have to move way too fast. It's forget it. Like, it's not going to happen. It'll be very uncomfortable. Um, and so we're just going to keep heading towards that iceberg. You'd think this captain is completely nuts, right? Um, if you're no. seeing the iceberg right there, that's the reality that we're actually living in. So the, the practical response is to say, um, we desire to have a continued civilization. We desire um, for to be able to rely on all the, the wonderful things that life has offered us and we de desire to avoid mass destruction and mass starvation. Um, so let's start off by saying, what do we need to do to do that? Rather than by saying, what do we need to do to meet a 3% increase in GDP um, by next year? And I think that you know, to the, the other point you were raising, I don't actually see it in terms of, and I agree, we hear this message a lot like, oh, we need to um, stop doing the nice things that we want to do in order to, as if it's like we can live a happy life um, or we can live this unhappy life that these environmentalists tell us we need to do. But everything we've been looking at in this last hour and a half, this hedonic treadmill is basically to say, we, we're not trying to reduce the actual, uh, the pleasure, the quality of life. What we're trying to do is look at the increase in quality of life yes. rather than increasing the quantity of life that just papers over the dukkha that we were talking about, the suffering that mm -hmm. people actually have. So the, the thing is, we can actually look at this transformation that's needed in positive ways rather than in negative ways. We can look at it, imagine just going beyond just what we do next year or 10 years from now, but imagine a civilization that was actually based on life, on affirming life, rather than based on affirming wealth and exploitation. What would it look like? What would it actually be like to actually uh, wake up each morning and actually know that the things you're doing with your life actually lead towards the flourishing 
of people around you, lead towards the flourishing of the planet, that you can sort of go outside and, and feel connected with and nature and know that what you're doing in your industry or whatever is actually part in a harmonious way of that flourishing rather than destroying it. I think people could actually, the quality of life people could have would be so much greater in a different kind of civilization where we're not dominated by these corporations that are actually designed to reduce our well-being, as we've been describing in the last hour and a half. So it's not really a matter of um, sort of tighten up, uh, make sacrifices, you gotta do it for the next generation. It's actually a matter of, we have this opportunity to transform our lives, each of us, our communities, our own individual lives, our global society towards one that is flourishing it does lead to wrenching changes, but the things that need to be changed are things that are actually hurting ourselves and that are hurting each of us, forcing us to live lives that we don't run rather than things that actually make us happy. I don't disagree with anything you're saying. Um, <clears throat> years ago, um, as part of my own work, I spent time um, in the back streets, hanging out with people who were <clears throat> shooting up, you know, tripping out all kinds of, you know, I mean, these are people in back alleys with needles in their arms, sitting with them, not judging them, just listening, trying to understand. And I remember as this young lady who was probably in her late 20s, early 30s, but looked a lot older was uh, tying off to, to inject the drug that she just warmed on a needle uh, on a spoon um, that she was going to inject. And I said, you know, she had been pretty straight before. So I'd had some reasonable conversation with her. And I said, you know, you seem like you're pretty intelligent. Do you, do you know what this stuff is doing to you? And she said, oh, yeah, this shit will kill me. And then she injected it in her arm. Mm. And I think that that's the problem, Jeremy, that we're facing here is I think that even the most ignorant among us realize that we're on a we're in a death spiral. But nobody wants to pull up or not enough of us want to pull up to pull the collective up. And so when you say these things, I agree with you. I, I just don't see social media ever becoming responsible enough to say, you know what, we'll cut back on the profits a little bit and not manipulate you quite as much as we did. I don't really see America giving up guns um, as much as I think it's a smart thing to do. I don't really see um, those industries that are driven to manipulate uh, us into consumerism I don't see them backing off. I don't see those things happening um, because we are mainlining all those things. We are mainlining feeling better through consumerism, through fossil fuels, through all of those things. So yes, I agree with you, quality over quantity, but that's, that's a hard sell, mate. That's why I'm saying about the practicality of it. That's a hard sell. I, I hear what you're saying, 
And at the same time, there's a couple of other perspectives I would I'd bring into this. And thank you. Before I do bring them in, I just want to clarify one thing because oftentimes I, I talk about the potentials for this positive future, and people end up uh, um, calling me an optimist. You know, it can be a positive thing. Oh, I wish I was as optimistic as Jeremy. And and optimism is not what I'm talking about because I look mm. at the trajectories we're going on, and they look disastrous to me. Cool. And I spend every day of my life kind of with working with the dread of seeing the directions we're headed on. So my point is not that, oh, everything's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. My point is that as things unravel, as things get worse and worse, the potential for change becomes greater and greater. And what we see in history is the nonlinearity of changes in human history and in all of uh, the natural world, in fact. Um, the, if you look at everything in nature, there are these phase transitions that happen. Um, and there's, there's this incredibly uh, powerful model called the adaptive cycle theory of uh, mm. model of change, which looks at how change in all different complex systems from forests to ecologies, to human societies, to markets or whatever, um, follow this path of things in a, stay in a conservation phase for a long time and then they unravel very quickly. And then they regrow in different directions, just like a forest that has a big fire and new, new seeds might blow in and the forest might look very different when it regrows afterwards. So similarly, uh, when, when actually when I looked at the patterning instinct, this other book yes. looked at the changes in the ways that people make meaning, what you find again is that this kind of meaning making in a culture can be incredibly stable even for thousands of years. But when something happens to destroy the authority of those people who are part of that meaning making machine. And, and then new generations grow up and say, we don't accept this anymore. We're gonna look at other forms of meaning. You see this in China where the traditional Chinese um, meaning making for millennia was right there. But when the West came in and basically humiliated China's leadership, destroyed the economy, um, new generation said, we're throwing out neo-Confucianism. We're not accepting it. We're gonna take this, you know, we look at the West was so successful, we're gonna take their ideas and apply them to ourselves. And they've done that very powerfully. So similarly, one thing we know the next couple of decades, things in this current society are going to unravel as climate breakdown happens, as these inequalities get us to breaking point. What we've seen with COVID-19 is just like a little dress rehearsal compared to the major disruptions we're gonna be experiencing. And as that happens, new generations of people like uh, Gre the Gre Greta Thunbergs of the world, young people are going to, as they're beginning to become aware of things, um, going to say, there's something wrong here. And their parents are gonna tell them, go to school, learn your lessons. This is the way the world works. And en masse, in the millions and hundreds of millions and ultimately the billions are gonna say, no, we don't accept this, this is crap. What you're telling us is wrong. We can see it's not working. Now, the key is what do they put in place of that? Now, mm. right now the danger is what comes in place of that is the fascistic, uh, these um, putting up um, barriers, hating mm -hmm. foreigners and being scared of refugees, all the negative things. That is, I'm terrified of that becoming predominant uh, too in our society, like many people are. But there's equally possible that people can actually move towards life-affirming 
uh, different sets of values that actually make them feel better, that make the community stronger, and that can lead to a transformed world. But the important thing is not to get limited in what we reimagine that transformed world to be. Start off with what we actually need as a society. And no matter how different it is from what it is now and say, this is where we need to go. Now, let's like make that a light, a beacon for where we can head. And as things unravel, no matter how unrealistic, no matter how far-fetched they seem, I guarantee you that lots of people will start looking at that as a potential. Whether that'll be enough, whether there'll be enough people early enough to do that, none of us know, but that's the potential that we do have as a human society. I'm so glad you went there because my belief is this, and this is going to piss some people off as I say it, <clears throat> but I, I, I asked a question uh, recently where I said, why, and this was like, you know, people thought I was being tongue in cheek. And I said, why is Donald Trump the greatest president to ever live? And people were like, what? And I'm like, okay, I'm serious. Why? And they said, he's not. And I said, no, no, I want you to look at it from he is. I want you to actually approach it as if that's true. And they're like, I can't do that. I said, well, then there's the problem. And they go, what do you mean? I said, okay, let me give you an example. Uh, I'm old enough to remember the women's movement. I was a kid, but I remember the women's movement in the 60s, right? Burn your bra, all that kind of stuff, right? Okay. Who's unified women better than Donald Trump? What are you talking about? He's totally a misogynist. No, no, hold on a second. There were a million women marched on Washington the day he was elected. That's unifying women. Um, who made the Germans anti-nationalist? Mm -hmm. Adolf Hitler. Mm -hmm. Who, you know, all these things, you know, the darkness is always the prerequisite for the light. And so what you were saying that I think is so important is I think we have to go deeper into the darkness as a society for us to get it. And it's not dark enough yet. It's not dark enough yet that we can still see, we can turn around and go, it's fine. There's light there. It's fine. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that that's why we're still going, yeah, we need coal mines and we need, we need gasoline and we need gas cars and we need all these things that are, are what they are. But I think there is going to, I think exactly what you're saying is that there is, um, it's, a, it's a theory of development around the pendulum. And that is that there's a pendulum response that we, we swing from one side to the other. Sadly, we rarely find the middle, but we, you know, we will probably move back to a more agricultural society. I mean, people are building farms on top of warehouses in Manhattan and in Brooklyn, right? So this mentality of understanding that very often it has to get really bad before we recognize, okay, I got to change. And the analogy of that I've given to people all the time is people say, well, I don't know if that's true. Okay. And I say, let me just give you an example. And they go, what? I said, you ever been in a shitty relationship? And they go, yeah, sure. And I go, how long were you in it? Your longest one. They go five years. I go, okay, let me ask you a question. And they go, what? I said, how long into that relationship did you know it sucked? Mm -hmm. And they go, about a month or about a year, you know. And I go, uh-huh. So how long did you stay in it again? Five years. Why? Because you had to wait 
till it was so bad that you couldn't bear it anymore. And I believe that that's oftentimes the evolution of our consciousness right. is that we are so attached to the familiar. Even if the familiar sucks, we stay with it. We develop a quote unquote Stockholm syndrome for our shitty situation mm -hmm. until we can't bear it. We're in a, we're in a cult relationship with crap. <laughs> and, and then eventually we go, Oh my God, I'm in a cult and I have to get out. Mm -hmm. Whereas before I was selling the cult and now I have to go, hold on a second, this is wrong. So I love that you brought it to that, that I think there is another side, but it's very difficult to see it because we have to plunge deeper into the darkness. Yes. And that brings me back to exactly where we started, which is the beautiful grief, mm -hmm. the beautiful grief that we may have to sit collectively as a planet and be in our grief to say no more. I can't do this anymore. Mm -hmm. No more. We, we, we can't do this. And in the process of it, yes, the authoritarians of Bolsonaro and Rodrigo and Trump or whoever it might be. Yeah. They will take advantage of that. Um, and I hope <laughs> Uh, which is a pretty shitty strategy, but I hope that we will see through that pretty quickly, move into the darkness that reveals the light for us. Yeah, I think what you say is is true and profoundly true. Um, and at the same time, I, I want to add one one layer to that because Thank you. Um, sometimes people can interpret what you're saying and, and in terms that moves towards like a fatalistic uh, kind of way of approaching it to say, okay, let's, the, the bad things are gonna happen. It's gonna get worse before it gets better. So allow all that bad shit. Don't even try to fight it because it's gonna, we're gonna have to go further into the darkness or even this place of being with grief, which mm -hmm. I, again, I'm with you hundred percent, but it doesn't end there that it's not enough to say, okay, I'll be in the grief. Oh, I heard about the sixth extinction and looked at these incredible, beautiful, oh, the, the Amazon rainforest is gonna turn into Savannah. Oh, I really feel that grief. Now let me just really be there and feel that. That's not enough um, because that's separating from the actual distractions taking place. It's separating from the fact of the recognition that each of us are actually part of these systems and there is nothing uh, inevitable about any of these things happening. So while um, I'm completely with you that we are, uh, there's almost no way I can see things not getting much worse before they get better. My big impassioned plea to anyone listening to this is to recognize that you can actually choose to be part of that working, setting those seeds that can make this thing better even while they're getting worse. So it's a little bit like, we were talking before about how um, as things unravel, as society unravels, then the things that tie society together, um, that brings the opportunity for things to be sort of rewoven in a different way. But if, if things unravel too much and too extreme, we lead to actual disaster. I mm -hmm. mean, there's this potential um, and it, it sounds terrifying and it is terrifying, um, but serious scientists uh, are waking up to this more and more and wanting to, people to be aware of the total collapse of our civilization within our generation. 
uh, mm -hmm. within decades where everything falls apart, which would lead to the greatest suffering of, uh, of human beings that have ever existed on earth, like the worst uh, starvation and hunger and disease and killing. Nobody wants that. I no. mean, I can't believe even the most depraved psychotic would want that. We need to stop that from happening. So we can't just kind of allow things to go into that direction. But it's almost like what we need to do is develop this, uh, this incredible skill. So if you imagine this weaving unraveling, <clears throat> and you know that game Cat's Cradle, uh, that some kids can't sometimes play, you have the string and you yep. sort of put it together and then you sort of turn it around and you've like shifted uh, from one trend, one sort of weave to another in one movement. We have to kind of do a cat's cradle um, with our society unweaving. So as it un unravels, we have to reweave what we need even within the society so that um, as things begin to, to really kind of fall apart, they're transforming into something positive at the same time. Now, it's never been done before like this in history. What I'm talking about what's necessary would be unprecedented in human history, but it's the only way that I can see that we can actually move towards a true long-term flourishing. So it's worth a while for everyone to look and say, well, what can I do? And rather than getting overwhelmed by the impossibility of it, it's just recognizing that actually it's a self-organized thing. There's no one brilliant mastermind who's going to make it all happen. This kind of reweaving is one that arrives from each of us, like living our lives in that way that we've been describing earlier, getting off that hedonic treadmill and using that cultural mindfulness, becoming aware that we can live from our own place of compassion um, and caring and actually start to almost like live into the future that we want. Spend each day living as if it were that different world where people actually cared about each other. And like, and when enough people start doing that, that becomes a self-reinforcing uh, flow, which can lead to that phase transition that we're talking about in that positive direction rather than to collapse. Again, thank you so much for that because it's, it's really important. Um, when we look at history, I, I, I've said this before, I think that if you're living in ancient Rome at the peak of Rome, it's impossible to imagine there could ever be anything else. Mm -hmm. But Rome is history. It's not still going. If you're living in the Dark Ages before the Age of Enlightenment, it's hard to imagine the Age of Enlightenment. Mm -hmm. If you're living in a pre-mechanistic world, you can't imagine a mechanistic world. So all these things that these evolutions of who we are, whether they're better or worse, they are different. It's impossible for us to imagine them when we're not in them. But I love your message here, which is you may not, and I think this is so important, you may not be the change, but you may definitely be the seed of change. And if indeed we need to plunge deeper into the darkness, then somebody needs to be laying a trail of beautiful seeds along the way for something new to grow into. And I want to be that. And do you want to be that as a, as a viewer, as a listener? Do you want to go to that place? Do you want to be the seeds of something new and magnificent that you don't even understand what it will be yet? That for me, I think is a, is a far greater understanding to as 
uh, I think it was Gandhi who said, uh, to plant the tree that you'll never sit under mm -hmm. and to be willing to do that, uh, to uh, understand that, yeah, we're going to a dark place and not to throw your hands in the air and go, there's nothing we can do, mm -hmm. but rather to say, okay, as a global consciousness, we might be going there, but the individuals within that global consciousness can be the people who sow the seeds that will shift us all into a more beautiful, magnificent future that we cannot imagine. No more than ancient Rome could have imagined the, the world that we live in today. And I think that that's a really great place for us to, to finish because one of the things that I know that you're all about and I wanted to make sure that people know about, which is liology, uh, leology rather, leology, which is we are all connected. Mm -hmm. And we like to think of ourselves, we have been trained to think of ourselves in a hedonistic, separate way. And that if you look at the photograph, the beautiful, magnificent photographs of the, the universe, and you look at the photographs of the neurons in your brain, you'll see that everything is a macrocosm of the microcosm, that we're all connected, that none of us are separate. And laying down those seeds is a really beautiful thing to do for my personal dragon fire is to impact the lives of those who will not know my name and whose names I will never know mm. to create a legacy that goes far beyond me. It doesn't matter who I am, but mm. to plant those seeds so that those who emerge from the darkness can see the light. Mm. Wow. Jeremy, so it has been a pure genuine pleasure my friend thank you so much for taking the time to be with us thank you for all that you've shared i am sincerely grateful i would love for you to tell the audience um where they can find out more about you all the different platforms all the different resources tell them all about that please yeah sure thank you so much and i just want to say i'm so sincerely grateful to you Duff, for what what you're putting out there in this whole program and just what you just said what a beautiful closure to these um these ideas thank you um that really thank stays you, with me and um yeah so <clears throat> um as dove mentioned uh best place to begin looking at my work is just at jeremylent.com um i also keep a blog called patterns of meaning you can find it at patternsofmeaning.com which just has a lot of articles i write on on topical subjects but always looking at the deeper underlying layers of meaning that um, modern topical issues um, lead to. So um, you can actually sign up to my newsletter on either of those two sites, um, and then you'll stay in touch with, with what's going on in the future. Um, finally, the uh, Leology that Dov just mentioned, um, that's spelled L-I-O-L-O-G-Y, um, is actually a nonprofit institute that I started up some years back, and you can find out about that at leology.org. And that basically refers to a different kind of worldview. The word Li actually is a Chinese word meaning the principles of connectedness. So it's like the, the Chinese ideas with ology, which is a modern, more scientific Greek-based notion. And it's this recognition that everything around us is integration. And so Leology itself is really a practice of integration of all the different aspects of ourselves. And you can find out about that at leology.org. And in all cases, I just ask uh, you to be aware that this new book, The Web of Meaning, 
integrating science and traditional wisdom to find our place in the universe is actually coming out next June, uh, June 2021. I'm very excited about that. If you sign up to my newsletter, you'll know all about it as things get closer. So thank you. Fabulous. Thank you, Jeremy. Again, it's been a pleasure and honor. Hope you'll stay with us to the end. And for you, dear listener, dear viewer, you know, I really want to thank you for remaining curious. Um, and I want to challenge you to stay curious, my friends, stay curious about the patterns of meaning in your life and how they are have been given to you. But they're certainly worth questioning because the trajectory we're on is not a particularly positive one, but we, you and I, can make a massive difference one little seed of consciousness at a time. I am deeply grateful for you. I'm deeply grateful for all that you are doing to awaken all of us. Stay curious, my friends. Stay curious. And we'll see you next time here for another delicious episode of Curiosity Bites. I'm Dov Barron. You can find out more about me at dovbarron.com. And I am out.